You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. So lots of things to start off with. Um, first of all, I apologize for yesterday. Um, the audio, sometimes it's usually my fault. If I upload the audio too quick, if I'm a little too zealous, especially like yesterday when I'm very late and it's not fully exported yet, it's like, okay, it's just uploading as much as is ready, and it wasn't ready, whatever. I didn't find out until I got to work, and when I'm at work, I don't have the full file, so there's nothing I could do. I did re-upload it, so if you want to catch the end of that, um, go ahead and do that. I did start a little side project because I really felt bad about it, but as usual, I'll, all I wanted to do was get a couple little snapshots on, in print on packernet.com that I could send you my thoughts, and then, of course... It just has to be perfect, and it has to be this amazing thing, and it's like, okay, this is just... So maybe that'll become a thing, maybe it won't. I I, I want to do it because I want to organize my thoughts anyway, but the way that I work, this is going to take me six months, and the draft is in a month, so I don't know. But anyways, that's up um, with a couple little news and notesy things. We've got a couple more pro days we can go through today, and there's also some uh, Packers news, some relatively big Packers news, depending on, um, I don't know, I, I, I guess kind of reading between the lines or, or trusting sources and whatnot. But also, as I've said, we've got multiple um, question marks for the cap because you got Ken Ingles, you got Spot Track, and you got over the cap all with three different numbers. And a lot of them are all saying that the Packers still are in the red, which is impossible. That's not a thing that can happen. Um, a couple of moves have been discovered. Again, I don't know how that can happen without anybody noticing or how the person that noticed noticed, but they noticed. Um, but anyways, uh, so yesterday's thing is fully uploaded. You can check that out. Um, today is a little bit late because I did take the day off um, because I knew that uh, today was either going to be a very good day or a very bad day. We put an offer in on a house, and uh, there were 10 other offers, and the market is crazy. People put in 30000 sometimes up to $50,000 over. I know it's crazier in other markets, but that's kind of the Madison area. 30000 to fifty seems to be the standard. Um, but we got picked, so had a lot of cool things go in our direction, made a couple really good decisions, but uh, we will, for the first time, be homeowners, so I'm pretty excited about that. Unfortunately, that is against the backdrop of the tragedy that took place in um, in Boulder. I know this is a very big podcast, so although it's not close to home for me, it may be for some of you, so uh, my condolences to anybody that, um, you know, is just even in the area, it can it really shakes you up, you know. But uh, it's a terrible, terrible thing, and um, just optimistic because I've I've deleted this portion, I think five times now. But uh, let 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 me just say, if you're gonna do anything, let it be something in support of the community. Anything outside of that, let's just leave it alone, okay? And we'll leave it at that. 
All right, so first and foremost, this is the most random thing I've ever seen. Um, Ollie Murray, who has 160 followers, just broke Packers news. <laughs> I don't know who this guy is. Ian Rappaport didn't say anything about it. Ken Ingles missed it. But Ollie Murray, at Ollie Murray one tweeted out during my all-in research, which he did some work and we'll talk about that, I stumbled across a couple bits of information which may count as breaking news. Packers have restructured the contract of Mason Crosby and further restructured the contract of Adrian Amos, adding three void years to each to lower their 2021 cap hits. So, again, you know my thoughts on void years. Um, the, the only real benefit, and I've, I've talked about this not recently but in the past, is there may be an emphasis on kicking the can down the road more so than usual because there is a a massive gap between the cap now and the future, especially even the recent future, the near future, whatever. And the reason is because we got some weird outside forces, right? COVID sucked the cap way down. We actually went backward. Going forwards, we're going to eventually at some point get caught up. So, I mean, just getting back to normal, what it should have been is going to be a massive increase. Because in vision, the, the cap was at like 200, so it should be like 205 and from there 210. On top of that, we got these new TV deals, so then that adds way on top of that. So we're, we're like 25 million low of where we should be. That eventually, when this COVID restriction of, of you know borrowing goes away, gets added on. But now we got the TV deals on top of that. There's going to be an explosion of the cap at some point. And I think teams are, are kind of just borrowing from that time right now. And so it's it's slightly more acceptable to do it now than than later. Um, the the biggest issue though is a lot of these contracts they're being restructured, meaning we're pushing money into times when we're still kind of in these COVID restricted times. Now I do think I've seen somebody say something to the effect of it could go up to two ten, which is obviously a massive jump. But we're still kind of in that COVID time. You know, I forget what was it like three years of a lowered cap to kind of make up for what we've had to go through in 2020. So I don't really know what the long-term strategy is. I mean, you can't borrow from 2024 on a guy that we're going to release in 2022. That doesn't really work. But again, I do think that there is a an anticipation of a giant leap in, in the cap, not only just next year, but the year after that. I think you're going to start to see some big jumps. I don't know that, but not just my own intuition, just based on what I've heard and seen and, and just the way the teams are acting. They're acting as though there's going to be a lot more resources next year than this year, especially the Packers. Now, we, we could just say, well, no, they're, they're just doing what they have to do. Um, they acted somewhat irresponsibly, and now they got to pay the piper, and this is the way it goes. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit of both. I don't know. But um, they're not doing a lot of extension. Thank you, Tanner Opichka, for tagging me in exactly what I'm talking about right now. That's kind of funny. At Cowboy of Space. Just want to make sure I was aware of this uh, information. Interestingly enough, I actually Googled Adrian Amos restructuring um, there's a, Jason Wilde wrote an article about this on March 13th. So that was 10 days ago. I don't know if this is, I'm assuming it's the exact same. I, I don't think they just did it twice in a row. So I, I don't necessarily think this is breaking news. I just, I guess we just all missed it. I don't know. The only thing that's kind of silly about all this is it's saving us like no money. It's less than a million dollars. We saved by restructuring Adrian Amos. Like what, what is even the point of that? I mean, maybe we had to do it just to get under because we were just we got like a million and a half dollars left to get under. And it's like, we got to do something. And so we just did this. I, I, I don't know. And again, with a lot of these contracts, you can restructure the terms of the, and I don't think that's true of everybody, but it sounds like in most contracts, it's set up that 
you can restructure the terms of the current deal um, so long as you're not changing the terms. That doesn't make any sense. You can kind of move money around so long as you don't change the money, I guess is, is the better way to say it. However, if it comes to an extension, obviously we're talking about new money that has to be negotiated. And even with voidable years, apparently that needs to be uh, negotiated as well. The reason that's interesting is because there was also news that broke about Aaron Rodgers. Apparently they are working with him on a, a uh, restructuring his contract, which as soon as I saw that was like, that doesn't make any sense. They don't need his permission to restructure. And why would he block it? Well, apparently that the, well, I shouldn't say that it's assumed and, and fairly so because they could just restructure his contract whenever they want, that this restructuring has either to do with an extension or to do with uh, voidable years. And when you factor in the fact that they've been adding voidable years to everybody's contract, on top of what I've been saying about how that actually makes a lot of sense to add voidable years to, the, to his contract, because his final year is the one that has very little money on it. And so when you add voidable years, that just accelerates into the final year. It's kind of a way of just leapfrogging middle years and adding on to the final year. So it makes perfect sense for Aaron Rodgers. I didn't realize that actually had to be negotiated with him, which I guess kind of makes sense because it's kind of like an extension, right? Sort of. It's just, it's new. I think it's new numbers. So you have to negotiate anytime there's new numbers involved, which makes sense. It's not like we're going to reshuffle your contract. And by the way, we're going to erase a couple numbers over here and add a couple numbers over here. Like, wait, wait, wait a minute. That's, you, that's no, we're not doing that. So that is kind of interesting. Um, and we'll see what exactly that is. It, it, it's also assumed, again, what I've been saying for a while now is that each, each party in this wants assurances. They want, they want guarantees. We always talk about player guarantees, but we don't talk about team guarantees. And essentially a team guarantee is when a player doesn't have guarantees. <laughs> every, every guarantee that you give a player is a guarantee we no longer have. And so they want to move Aaron Rodgers' money, but they also want to have assurances that he's still going to play it in peak performance, and if he doesn't, we can move on. And Rodgers is like, hey, if you want to touch my money, the only thing, it's not about money right now. I want assurances. And I, I, I tend to think that's what they're haggling over. Now, obviously, if they're talking about an extension, then money is a massive part of that. The money is always going to be a part of it no matter what, but I think that's the biggest thing. Aaron Rodgers is saying, listen, we're going to stop playing with this. You're gonna you're you're going to commit to me. I won the MVP. You paid me a lot of money, and I love it, and I appreciate that, and that's great. I I, res I mean, I'm getting paid stupid money right now. You are being wildly irresponsible with the amount of money you're paying me. That's great. The one thing you're not giving me is is your word, your assurance. And the Packers are like, yeah, dude. How about more money though? <laughs> and again, it's not because they hate Aaron Rodgers. It's not because they want to move on with. It's not about want. Everybody wants like a black and white picture of what you're going to do next year. They don't know. That's exactly the point, though. You never know. And, and the closer you are to knowing, the more comfortable you can be, right? Pat Mahomes, the guy's 14 years old. Give him a 50-year contract. Who cares? We'll figure, we'll figure it out later. Aaron Rodgers, though, it's like, you know, he's just kind of getting to that age. It's sort of like a 30-year-old pass rusher or something. It's like, he's good. But at some point, everybody hits a wall, unless you're Tom Brady and you sold your soul to Satan, which, by the way, is a very real theory that I'm not letting go of. I'm never letting go of that. That makes no sense. Dude, I think, I, I think I've talked about it on the podcast, but come on. Come on. When was he drafted? 900th? The guy's garbage, right? He, he barely got drafted. Every quality quarterback is basically a first-round pick. A couple second-round picks peppered in. This guy was, like, basically an undrafted free agent. He's garbage at everything. He's horrible. And you're telling me this guy goes on to be the most successful quarterback in NFL history 
makes more money than anybody, and marries a supermodel. That, come on, that dude is goofy looking. I'm sorry, but he's not a supermodel. He's in good shape. He's rich. He is not a 10 out of 10. Maybe goofy looking is being unfair, but this guy, come on. Come on. 17 Super Bowls and you marry a supermodel who makes more money than you do. And he's, he's like 60 years old and he goes to a new team and wins a Super Bowl. Nope. Nope. At some point, a conspiracy theory starts to make more sense than a not conspiracy theory. And at this point, the idea that he didn't sell his soul to Satan makes less sense than that he did. Wait. It makes less sense that he didn't than that he did. I'm just going to leave that alone. I, it's just breaking my brain. I don't know why I can't, I can't follow the logic on that one. You know why? My brain's being blocked from thinking about it. These are demonic forces I'm dealing with, and I'm going to walk away from it. You come up with a better theory. Get out of my face. Although, um, there were rumors that his wife is super into witchcraft and stuff. So, just add that to the list. They, they talked, serious, I'm dead serious. Go look it up. He talked about, like, these weird Wiccan rituals or whatever that his wife does before games. They're all in, man. They're all in. He didn't just sell his soul. Like, the devil comes to their house and has Thanksgiving dinner, I think, is, is kind of the, the level that they're at. It does, too, make sense. Get out of my face. So anyways, Aaron Rodgers. Um, and again, like I said, they've kind of painted themselves into a corner where you have to restructure Rodgers. I don't think you had to a month ago, but based on the decisions you've made, unless you can come to terms with Devontae, like, today, I mean, th these are the only two guys left. Extend Devonte, which still might not even give us enough money, or and again, it's like we keep dabbling with this stupid stuff. Like, well, let's do seven hundred fifty thousand with Amos. Like, dude, just stop, just stop. You have to work with Aaron Rodgers. This is a guy that has all the money. You want to move big dollars? You want to make big moves? It's only Aaron Rodgers. That's it. And even with Devonte, even though that's a lot of money, we got to pay him a lot of money. And when you're talking about paying that guy like a $25 million per year deal, which is probably pretty close to what we're talking about, somewhere in that range, I don't know how much money we're saving. Because if we continue paying him $16 million this year, that's still kicking the can down the road compared to his average. I don't think we can drop that bad boy to 10 because by the end of his contract, he's going to be getting paid $35 million if we're just going to average this bad boy out. And so obviously the way that you negate that is you add a bunch of years onto it, but then you don't have your assurances, right? Well, we don't have to give him guarantees. Well, then he's not going to sign it. If you put a bunch of funny money years onto this, like we're going to give you a 10-year deal, but after three years your, con your uh, guarantees run out, he's going to laugh in your face. We're just doing 10 years so we can spread the money out and be, you know, that's, that's too team-friendly, and, and he gets no assurances. So they're in a tough spot, and you got two parties that really don't want to work. And, and, and listen, again... This is the problem with All In. This has never been a problem in the past. First of all, they wouldn't even need to restructure Aaron Rodgers had they not gone so crazy in free agency. And also, again, COVID really hurt us. But, but aside from that, the Devontae deal, even though it probably wouldn't get done till the regular season anyways, but we're under the gun to get it done because we need money. But it's never really been a problem because we have an additional factor here. Whereas before it was about, let's work on a dollar and the structure and that's it. It's like, we got to work on a dollar amount and the structure... And we got to work with the understanding that we have no money right now, no flexibility, and you need to work with us to help fix our mistakes and our problems. And again, Devontae and Rodgers are not going to play that game. That's your problem. You figure that out. This either makes sense to me or it doesn't. I'm going to accept a contract from you that makes sense regardless of your cap situation. I'm not taking that into account. I don't care. That's not my problem. 
You know, if I had a furniture store and somebody came in and they're like, I'm going to buy that couch. Like, nice, dude. Yeah, it's a sweet couch. You're going to love it. Here's the thing, though. I don't have a job and um, I'm, in, I'm having a real hard time and I need you to work with me. Like, dude, I, I mean, I'll work. I can put you on a, a, a payment plan, you know, 100 bucks a month for 75 years or whatever. It's a sweet couch. Yeah, but look, I don't want to have to pay anything for three years because I, I got like a disability and I'm not going to be up on my feet for a long time. And it's like, no, dude, listen, listen, no. I'm sorry. I'll work with you, but I'll work with you the same way I'll work with anybody else. And that's with the assumption that you can pay for my couch. I'm not doing crazy stuff where you don't get any money or, you know, I don't get any money for years. You figure out the money. If you don't have it, then, then sorry, we don't have a deal. That's your problem, not my problem. I would be a very insensitive furniture salesman, but you know, I got to make money, man. I got bills to pay too. I got to put me out of business and take my couch. Why am I still on Twitter, dude? Rondale Moore squatting 600 pounds. Why are you making me fall in love with draft prospects? We're not there. We're not to the draft portion yet. I do like Rondale, man. Actually, it was, it was funny because I worked on my little project, and I'll just tell you what it is. It's basically an article that I'm planning on regularly updating, and I could just post it right now because I have technically one prospect, and the one prospect I did is Rondale Moore. And the reason I did is because if you look at the consensus mock draft, that is to say, the guy that is mostly mocked to the Packers, most often of the time, it's actually Rondale Moore. I don't know that that's realistic. You probably, I mean, when you have most people doing mock drafts, most people are not Packers fans, and most of the non-Packers fans think that the only thing Packers need is a wide receiver because they don't have anybody because they've never heard of Devontae Adams. But anyways, because he was the number one most mocked guy to the Packers, I figured I'd start with Rondale. And uh, it's an interesting thing. I mean, it's, again, I don't know if it's what the Packers are looking for. He's not in, well, I don't want to talk about the draft. Well, we, I guess we could. I'm pretty much done. I've, I've said what I had to say. It sounds like they're working on deals. And, and again, I, I, kind of, I kind of alluded to that, right? I said they've put themselves in a position where they have to. They don't have a choice. They're going to have to work with Aaron Rodgers. So as much as they don't want to, and it's, it's shocking that they're doing everything but working with Aaron Rodgers, and it seems like they're telling us something with that, they don't really have a choice. Um, but again, it, it sounds like, and, and something has to get done and something will get done. You know, it just, that, that's, they'll figure it out. And unfortunately for the team, Devontae and Rodgers are in such an unbelievably powerful position right now because they know the Packers have to get something done. They have to, and eventually they're going to break and they're going to do something that they find to be irresponsible, which it sounds like they've done several times now. But anyways, interestingly enough, this, uh, Ali Murray guy, what he was talking about when he said he worked on his all in research. Um, he did a little metric, and, and I, I don't think it's, you know, I, this is why I'm bad at doing stuff like this, because immediately I'm like, well, this is the problem with it. This is definitely not a perfect thing, and he didn't even go into specifics, but he said, I'm tired of people throwing around the phrase, quote, all in, unquote, without really understanding what it means. So I created an all in index, which analyzes current cap space, future cap space, and draft resources available to demonstrate teams' ability to add further talent this year. Um, and, and, and here's, again, here's the problem. Ability to add talent this year is not necessarily proof of all-in-ship. There's, there's a, a, a correlation, but it's not a one-to-one. For example, the last one is the worst one. Available draft resources. Now, I understand what he's doing, because if you're like the Bears and you give away all your draft picks because you went, quote, all-in, you traded them away, then there you go. That's, that, that works. But you also have some teams like the Packers who draft later, and so they're not as valuable, unless he's not counting when you draft, just, you know, first, second, third, fourth, fifth. But there's also your compensatory pay. I mean, it's just, there's, there's going to be some gray areas in there. Also, cap space isn't necessarily all in. They're not, they didn't go all in when they signed Aaron Rodgers to a massive contract. That's not all in. 
That's just keeping guys that you drafted. You're drafting well. It's it's a sign of drafting well. But but anyways, there it it somewhat works, right? Either way, the idea that the Packers haven't gone all in is silly. So based on this index, which says how much money you have now, how much money you have later, and how much draft capital you have, which generally, if you're going all in, you're going to lose those resources, which is why he looked at those resources. And the teams that have the least amount of those resources are highest up on this index. The Packers came in second on his all-in index. And here's the point. You do your own. You can do your own in any way that you find it, but you're never going to be able to do an all-in index in which the Packers aren't near the top because the Packers have gone all-in. And, and and I still see that every day. Why won't they just go all-in? Why won't they just do this? Why won't they just, for once, do that? They did! Why do you think they don't have any money? The problem is nobody wants to admit they went all-in because we didn't win a Super Bowl. And in their mind, if we went all in, we would have won a Super Bowl. Guess what? We went all in. We did not win a Super Bowl. Just like the Saints went all in, they did not win a Super Bowl. Like the Jaguars went all in, they did not win a Super Bowl. Like the Bears went all in, they did not win a Super Bowl. Like the Eagles went all in, they did not win a Super Bowl. Well, they did the one time. <laughs> yes, Tampa kind of went all in and they won a Super Bowl. But that's, that's sort of a weird one too, because they went all in with guys like Jason Pierre-Paul, who's not even good at football. So yeah, they, they added some pieces and they won. But every single team is adding pieces. You're ignoring the 31 other teams that added a bunch of pieces and lost. So Darius Smith is the third highest paid guy on this team. That's a part of going all in. Adrian Amos is the fifth highest. Preston is the sixth highest. Seven, eight, nine. Billy Turner is the ninth highest. We've got one, two, three, four of our top 10 players. And Adrian, uh, where's he? Oh yeah, he's, he's in there. Four of our top 10 highest paid players are free agent all-in moves. And guess what? It's not even a bad thing. We didn't swing and miss. We went out in free agency and we got absolute studs. And guess what? We still lost because it's football. That happens. You cannot just say, if we just go get this guy, we're going to win. Do you genuinely believe if we added one wide receiver that we would have won? Tell me how one wide receiver is going to help get pressure on Tom Brady because the entire defensive line played like garbage in that NFC Championship game for the second time in a row now. Zadarius fell, completely fell asleep in the NFC Championship game. Rashawn and Preston fell asleep second time in a row. Two NFC Championship games and the defensive line fell asleep. You add a wide receiver, how does that help? Well, we could have added an edge We could have added someone along the defensive line. You mean like Snacks Harrison who couldn't even get on the field? Like an edge rusher that would have been on the bench because there's no way they're benching uh, Rashawn and Preston and Zadarius? It doesn't work that way. Stop it. They did go all in. They finally took your advice and they failed. They missed. Swing and a miss. And now we're having to pay the piper, which is the big thing that we've all been trying to tell you. All of us who, have, who are sort of dis disciples of Ted Thompson, who have grown up respecting and understanding why he does what he does and understanding our long-term sustained success has to do with draft and develop being the core of what this team does, not being reckless in free agency and understanding that when we delve in recklessly in free agency, that's going to cause a ripple effect that's going to cause very serious problems and not just, hey, we can't sign a wide receiver now. Serious problems like we're going to have to cut guys like Corey Lindsley. He's gone because we're paying Zadarius and Amos and Preston and, and, and Turner and all these guys. We would absolutely 1,000% be able to spend money on Corey Lindsley if not for those guys. And I'm not saying it was even a bad thing. They went out and did a great job, and we've won lots of games. There's never a guarantee. 
I think I think what what our GM did was incredible. He's done a great job drafting. He's been an ace in free agency, finding absolute stud players. The worst guy of the entire bunch that I can see is Billy Turner, and he's actually grown into at least a fairly competent player. He's not elite, but I mean, you look at the guys Ted Thompson brought in, and it's like, why are, why do you bother? I just I don't get it. What are you doing? The guy is worse than than what we had. I mean, obviously when he went big, he went real big, and it won a Super Bowls, but and maybe that's part of the problem. Ted Thompson and, and Ron Wolf were so good at almost never doing it, but when they did, you won a Super Bowl. So Packer fans especially have this thing where, like, if you just go big and get, like, one guy, you go out and get Charles Woodson, then you win a Super Bowl. It's just automatic. If you get Reggie White, you win a Super Bowl. That's just how that works. So maybe it's just Packer fans that, that have a, a skewed percep- uh, perspective on that. Anyways, why don't we uh, take a break here? We'll come back and do a little bit of draft talk because I'm getting excited about this here NFL draft. Mmm, what you know about the draft. Also, thanks to Taylor for for, for jumping in on Patreon. Oh, Taylor, my man. Sorry for making it weird, man. Sometimes it gets weird here. I don't, you know, I like to keep it weird. I'm sorry. It's what I do. Taylor, you're awesome. Thank you so much for jumping in on Patreon. You can support this podcast. Once again, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. That is greatly, greatly appreciated. You can do so for as little as a buck a month. My uh, my wife and my kids and myself have all kinds of different ideas of what we're going to do with this new house, and all of which, come to find out, cost money. So um, for every dollar you donate, that is a vote for my new grill. At least that's what I'm going to tell my wife. <laughs> she has no votes. Neither does my daughter for a puppy. So um, yeah, just let me know. So far, I'm winning. Taylor, you didn't realize this, but you uh, you voted for me getting a new grill, and I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'm currently winning with one vote. Also... Thank you so much to Hard Boots Snowboarder. Hard Boot Snowboarder. It's one of those things, when it's all smashed together, I was like, wait a minute. Hard Boot, Hard Boots No Border? Huh. That seems random, but it's Hard Boot Snowboarder. <laughs> it's like a fun game where you got to, you know, figure out the license plate or whatever. But thank you very, very much for your uh, five-star iTunes review. I'm really glad that you guys appreciate the show and for your support. And again, for those of you that do not, I would greatly appreciate it if you would reach out to me directly. I'm getting much better at taking constructive criticism, and I would appreciate that over a uh, one-star review. Just saying. Not to say I'm going to change anything, because I'm pretty set in my ways at this point, but I'm, I'm trying to take constructive criticism, because, I, you know, sometimes the show sucks, you know? It happens, but uh, you guys notice it before I do, so help catch me, because sometimes I go on these tangents. Like, sometimes I'm just in a bad mood for like a month, and I ruin my own show until somebody comes along, and they're like, just so you know... You've been kind of a jerk lately, and we're kind of tired of listening to you. And it's like, oh, yeah, sorry about that. Let me try to fix that real quick. You gotta, I mean, you're doing me a favor by telling me I suck. I'm just saying. Just tell me. Yes, I'm going to hate you and block you, but you're, you're, that's what real friends do. <laughs> Let's take a break. This is, getting, this is getting stupid. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. 
Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, so let's pick up where we left off yesterday talking about pro day results. And we've got, like I said, we got some real big ones this week, uh, schools like Alabama and whatnot. But um, yesterday we had some additional pro days and some workouts and whatnot. So I want to go through um, the prospects that I think are worth talking about. I mean, we got a little bit more time today because yesterday it was, let me just scroll to see how many. We could touch on, no, we better not touch on all these. That's a little ridiculous. But any names that I, I guess I recognize we'll talk about. But not just what they did. Um, kind of similar. I did a seven-round mock draft recently. And if you feel like torturing yourself, watch me sit there and figure out how to make seven-round mock drafts interesting. It's it's brutal. It's really, it's just not interesting. But the, the cool thing about it is it gave me the opportunity to really just look at the prospects. And I put them up on PFF and we just went through it. And it's you just learn stuff, you know, like I don't know who this is. And you look at him, it's like, oh, hey, he's pretty good. And you whatever. Um, kind of similar to what I want to do now. So the first school that they have listed here is Florida State, which is very cool because a lot of Packer fans' favorite prospect and, and becoming one of my top prospects um, is Asante Samuel, the, the cornerback out of Florida State. I think one of the biggest, exciting, most exciting things about him is he's reminiscent of Jair. He's a smaller guy, but he's scrappy. Um, he seems to play beyond his size. Um, I understand some people looking at it saying, look, we we kind of hit a home run with Jair, but that doesn't mean you're going to hit it every time. You know, it's nice to get that big bodied corner, and I completely understand that. It, it's it's whatever. I don't really care. I mean, it's all opinion, man. I, I just like when people have opinions, and I just respect it. It's all in fun. I mean, I'll probably give you a little bit of guff if you're going to claim that you're really a talented scout, and it's like, all right, you're going to have to carry some weight. But for most of us, I just love hearing like people's favorite prospects. I don't know why. I just think it's cool. It's, I mean, it's just kind of like your favorite pizza. I mean, at this level of analysis where I'm at and where a lot of you are at, it's just preference. Like, I, I love hard-hitting linebackers. I know they suck in, in the pros, but that's what I like, you know? It's like I like meat lover's pizza. I know it's going to kill me, but it's freaking good. <laughs> so anyways, Asante Samuel, five foot ten, one eighty. 180. I think that's about what was expected of him as far as height and weight. Obviously, he doesn't have very long arms because he's a short person. Um, his vertical was not all that impressive. 
In fact, none of it was really all that impressive. He ran a 4.45 40 time, which is not bad. That was 62nd percentile. That's that's plenty fast in the NFL. Um, bench reps was 12, but nobody cares about the bench. Um, interestingly enough, vert and broad jump, granted, they're very different kinds of things, but they both generally look at explosion. His vertical was 35th percentile. And I'm sticking with percentiles instead of numbers because I feel like most of us like 40 time, we kind of know what's good and bad, but a lot of us, we don't really know what's good and bad for vert, broad, short shuttle, whatever. So when you look at percentiles, that kind of gives you exactly how good it is. And these are percentiles based on position. It's not just, you know, overall, but 35th percentile in vertical and 63rd in broad jump. So, you know, I guess somewhat explosive. I don't know. And then the uh, agility drills, the short shuttle and the three cone, he was 71st percentile in the short shuttle, 46th in the three cone. And I remember there was an article that kind of highlighted like the differences, you know, general explosion, but they're kind of like different kinds of explosion and like short shuttle and three cone, it's agility, but they're checking different things. I I wish I I should try to find that. All right. So here's a, here's a pretty good thing that we'll go over real quick. We'll go over it once and uh, we'll kind of just try to remember it from there. So it says the vert is a test of explosive power, which, I mean, again, it's it's about explosion, right? It says, but it's most relevant for receivers and safeties who routinely compete uh, in the air for passes. So, I mean, it's literally for, you know, jumping. The broad jump is similar to the vert. It's all about explosive power, but broad jump accesses slightly different muscle groups, notably those around the ankles and hips. It acts, therefore, as a good measure of power for running backs. So, you know, blasting through people or whatever. So obviously when we're talking about cornerbacks, we care more about the vert than the broad. And unfortunately, that's the exact opposite for Asante Samuel. He was not very, very good with his vertical. He's not a, a big, which is also problematic when you're short, right? If you're only 5'10", you got to be able to get up and he can't. So that's not great. Um, he's got explosive power in terms of his broad jump. But again, that's not generally what I guess scouts are looking for in a um, corner. Then when we look at the agility drills, the 20-yard shuttle says the shuttle is indicative of lateral speed and agility. It's a good test for evaluating receivers who depend on running convincing routes to gain separation from defenders. I'm assuming similarly corners who want to mimic receivers would want to be able to do this. Had to go to a different site for this because for some stupid reason, this article doesn't include the three-cone drill, which I think is one of the most, like when you actually ask scouts, like what's the most important drill, three-cone comes up a lot and they didn't even include it because they're dumb. But uh, anyways, three-cone drill at the NFL Combine, also known as the L drills, designed to measure speed, agility, and change of direction. Body control, among other traits. The three-cone drill, which actually uses four cones in the shape of an L, evaluates how fast a player can change direction while accelerating. Who can improve draft stock the most? Pass rushers, wide receivers, and running back. So let's just say you want to do well in both. Um, 46th percentile in the three-cone, I think, is... And and, and here's the other thing to keep in mind that I think is generally acceptable um, thought. I think doing poorly means more than doing well. That is to say, you want to get inside of the range of acceptability. If you, for example, let's let's look at 40 times. The difference between a 4.5 and a 4.3 and a 4.5 and a 4.8 for, a, let's say, a wide receiver, it's, much, it's a much bigger difference from 4.5 to 4.8. Because 4.3 to 4.5 is, I mean, that, that extra bit of speed is nice. But again, at the end of the day, we just want a really good receiver. So that's going to be the most important thing. And then the 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 extra speed is kind of, it's a, it's a bonus, right? I mean, you can do extra. If you run a 4.8, you're probably not getting drafted, right? You'll, you'll see guys running 4.5s get drafted before guys that run 4.3. You will not see guys running 4.8s getting drafted before guys that run 4.5s, unless the guy that runs a 4.5 is just not a football player. But all things being the same, 
you might see the the four three guy get drafted. You know, if if we're just looking, you know, okay, he gets drafted in the first round. The four five guy goes in the second round. The four eight guy is an undrafted free agent. So again, when I look at seventy first percentile for short shuttle, it's like okay, that's acceptable. If you look at forty six percentile, again, these these are kind of red flags, and I think that's what a lot of the combine is. It's not about the guys that do the best. It's about the guys that do the worst, right? We care about medicals. Why? Because we want to see who's the most physically fit. No, we want to see if you have issues so that we can scratch you off our board entirely, right? We're looking at wide receivers in the 40 time. Again, we love it. If you can run a 4-3-5, we might move you up your board if we thought you were a 4-4-2 guy. But we're more interested in making sure that you can at least meet the benchmark that we think you can meet. If I say you're a 4-4-2 guy, can you run that? If you run a 4-5, it's like, eh, I don't know, man. I Part of my evaluation was based on, if you run faster, like, sweet. Yeah, he can do it and more. Nice. So these these are more concerning, right? If you're if you're 5'10", 180, I want to make sure you got hops. He doesn't. Well, you got to have some agility, right? Can you get in and out of your brakes like Jair? Well, not really. 46th percentile. I mean, when you're a smaller guy, you're kind of expected to be smaller, faster, shiftier. So again, on those merits, it's it wasn't a great combine or pro day. Now, in terms of his ability, I, I really like what I see in terms of his, his you know, PFF grades and whatnot. Um, the biggest thing that I love when I look at a guy is consistency. It's always extremely scary when last year they really blew up, but they were kind of garbage before that. You know, like they were in the 50s and then they got like a 60 and then it was like an 85. You know, again, look at Jordan Love. Jordan Love was one of the best quarterbacks in football in, what, 2018? He was just an absolute freak, but it was a f- kind of a fluke. I mean, a- again, I think his down year was also a fluke, but it was like, you know, he was decent and then elite and then bad. And it's like, well, it always makes you wonder, what if they what if they didn't declare for the draft? What's it going to be next year in college? Are they going to sustain that? Did they break out, like officially break out? Or is this like kind of a fluky thing? But when you got a guy that's just been, I mean, since his rookie year, 2018, he was good. 2019, he was good. 2020, he was real good. Like, all right. You know, I mean, he's just he's just consistent. He's just solid. And, and there's consistency in his grades, pass rush, which who cares, 50-50-50. Coverage, 70-78. Overall, 70-78. Run defense, 80-77. You know, I mean, just some variation, but not like 50, 90, 20. Like, you know, there's just stuff all over the place. It's like, I don't know what he really is. And then on a game-to-game basis, his grades, 74, 72, 76, 56, 72, 63, 80, 61. That's not a lot of variability. It's really not. It's pretty consistent 70s with a couple 60s, and like his one low game was like a 57 against Notre Dame. Like everybody has a bad day. But if you look at some of the other guys, and I, I, you know, obviously, you know, I spent a lot of time on PFF. You look at it, and it's like there's so much up and down. And some of these guys, they have really good grades, but it's like they'll have three games in the 90s and then a bunch of games in the 50s. And it's like, I don't even know if you're good. Like that's kind of trash, dude. Like your overall grade is an 85, and that's respectable. But on a game-to-game basis, I mean, again, it's similar to like what you get with Kevin King, or a lot of our pass rushers like Rashawn or Tunyon or just a lot of guys where they'll explode and it's like, oh, this guy's amazing. And then they either disappear or they're just garbage or both. You know, they're garbage and we just don't notice it depending on what position they are or whatever. But I just, I respect consistency. That's what I loved about Amos. I love that about him. You know, he, he, he has days where he's elite. Very rarely, extremely rarely are you watching the Packers loss and just like, dude, Amos was trash in that game. It just doesn't happen. The guy's just good. He might not be great every game, but he's just solid. He's just a solid football player. I love that to death. I would love to get more guys like that, and that's what Asante seems to have. Now, again, the biggest question is his jump from from uh, Florida State to the pros. But um, 
I just I, I like what I see out of the guy. His his passer rating when targeted this past year, and it wasn't an abbreviated year. He played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games. That's a pretty full college schedule. Forty six point two passer rating when targeted. Um, only nineteen of thirty two passes were caught in his direction for one hundred and seventy nine yards, which is crazy. Um, the most pass most yards caught was at Notre Dame game fifty four. He allowed one touchdown all season. That was the week, the final week, and against NC State. But one touchdown, three interceptions, five pass breakups on the season, and again, uh, hardly any yards. I mean, we're talking what twenty yards a game, uh, two receptions, twenty yards per game, roughly. So, you know, again, the the pro day numbers didn't seem to be great, but um, I don't know. It could work to our benefit if he ends up falling. You know, maybe falls to the back of the second. I don't know. I doubt it because he's you know, kind of peeking his way into the first, but who, I don't know. Who knows? Josh Jackson was supposed to be an early first round pick and we got him in the second. Um, after that, you got Mr. Marvin Wilson, defensive lineman out of Florida state, six foot four, three Oh three. The, the general thought with Marvin Wilson here is he was a dominant player. He was expected to be a first round pick, but he had a terrible, terrible, terrible 2020. And, and supposedly a lot of teams are really focused on what did you do in 2020 because of COVID, right? There was kind of the the restraints were taken off, and it was very incumbent on you to go out and do the work. So if you really blew up in 2020, that really shows your character. If you completely fell off in 2020, it kind of shows your character. And uh, so that's going to be a big knock on Marvin Wilson, who was a first-round prospect that is just plummeting on in the draft boards. Actually, for rent, for reference, Asante Samuel is sitting at about 43rd overall. Marvin Wilson is down to 80th, which is actually higher than I was thinking he was at. But uh, he's been in a straight downward decline. Um, he was, as of December 17th, he was 34th overall. Um, by January, he was 42nd. Um, looks like by February, he was down to 64th. By March 73rd, and again, right now he's sitting at 80th. So he's just continuing his downward slide. Um, as far as his combine numbers... Uh, they didn't actually put percentiles, but I have other resources for that, so we will be using our other resources. Six foot four, three hundred three, as I said, fairly standard, a little taller than average, but whatever. His vertical was a twenty-five point five. Average for a tackle is a little over twenty-nine, so that was not great. Broad jump was at about one hundred seven, which is a little better than average. Bench is twenty-three, which is not great. Again, nobody really cares, but I mean, when you're talking offensive line, defensive line, I kind of care. And again. The reason that may matter, maybe it won't, but but if there's work ethic issues with Marvin Wilson, I kind of care about that, right? Because what most scouts will say about that is all it tells me is that you're a gym rat. I don't really care about that, right? Guys that like live in the dr- the gym and they're they're muscle guys and that's what they care about. They they can kill it on the bench, but it doesn't really translate to the football field. But again, if my question is how much time have you been putting in the weight room? You're a, a big body defensive tackle. And I'm just curious, how, how much work have you been putting in? Because you are, have been struggling, and you show up and you put up subpar bench numbers. I don't need you to be a gym rat, but I need you to work. And this just kind of feeds the narrative that I don't know if this guy's been working. His 40 time of 5-1-2 is exactly average. Short shuttle and three cone, I don't even really care. For a defensive tackle, do we care? Well, he did poorly if you care. So there you go. So again, I mean, the workout's not great, and I just, I think, you know, that slow decline is going to continue, and I'd be surprised if he went even in the third round. But he may go higher because, again, he was unbelievably good. To give you an idea of what I'm talking about, as a rookie, his overall grade was 75.8, which is fine. That's respectable, right? He didn't play a ton, but uh, he got in there and he did some work. 
primarily he was a really good run defender, not super great as a pass rusher, whatever. 2018, when he became a full-time starter, he blew up. His overall grade was a 90.1. Run defense was a 90.2. Pass rush, 81.3. He had 34 pressures on 305 attempts, which is decent. Um, 2019, again, graded out as elite, but this time much better as a pass rusher. At least his grade was, his stats weren't. Uh, Still maintaining an 80 overall run defense, which is quality. So back-to-back elite years. Then in 2020, his grade was a 67. The run defense grade was a 70, and he had 10 pressures on 127 attempts, which is bad. As far as his breakdown on a game-to-game basis, it was 70-50, 70-50, 70-50. So good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Two games in which he had more than one pressure. But again, what you might find is a team that convinces themselves to take a flyer on him because they know what he has at his core, and they're looking at it like, okay, fine. You know, if, if you take the, the reins off him, he's not great, but we're going to put the screws to him. We're going to put him on a... I mean, look at, look at what Miami did when they traded for, uh, what's his name, Isaiah Wilson. That guy had red flags out the wazoo, but they probably had a good grade on him in the draft, and they're like, you know, if we can just get him under control, and boy, oh boy, we could have a real player here. And that just blew up in their face. I mean, coaches and stuff, they're, they're human beings, just like we are. And how we get excited, you know, we get excited about these free agent prospects or draft prospects. And we, we'll, we'll talk ourselves into anything. They're no different than we are. Some of them are a little bit more disciplined and try to stick to a process. But some of these guys will talk themselves into stuff. And they'll watch that 2019 Marvin Wilson tape. And they'll be like, you know what? I think, you know, COVID was weird for everybody, man. We can get a real stud and a steal here in the second round, third round, whatever. So it'll be interesting to see if a team pulls the trigger or if all 32 are kind of in unison on saying, eh, I'm just not buying it. Um, safety Hamza Nasruddin was another guy that was a first-round prospect. He was at one point considered the top safety in the draft. He is plummeting at his peak, um, at least as far back as this goes, which is to 12-7, but I do remember him being higher um, back when I was doing this, and I basically stopped monitoring this. I'm still monitoring, but I'm not doing it manually anyways. Uh, his peak was 31st overall, currently sitting at 86th. And this is the lowest he's been. Um, Hams is a big dude, man. He's six foot four, two twenty. He's got some thump to him. He is a strong safety. Um, he's actually done fairly well. He only played two games this past year, so there might be some injury concerns with him. But his grade in twenty nineteen was an eighty overall. Prior to that, so this is kind of what I'm talking about. Where if you look at his four year grade, sixty six, sixty nine, eighty, seventy. Now you can look at twenty twenty and say that doesn't really count. So it's kind of sixty six, sixty nine, eighty. And, you know, technically, if you look at his two games that he played, it was a 50 overall grade and an 80 overall grade. So one of those games kind of stuck with the 80. You know, granted, week 11 was his first week back, and it didn't go well, and he looked like he played a half a game. So, you know, it's kind of tough to judge, but, I mean, he's a big dude. But I think the biggest thing when you look at a big guy is can you kind of move around the field? At 6'4", 220, can you move? Um, And shocker, shocker, he did not do a 40 time. So that, I think, in and of itself is is a red flag. Kind of taking that, what is that, Abraham Lincoln advice? Probably one of those things that's misattributed to him, but something to the effect of better to not speak and let people assume you're a fool than to open your mouth and relieve all doubt or whatever. In other words, you can go ahead and guess that I can't run, but you don't know that I can't run. Maybe I can. Never know. (laughs) I chose not to run, but maybe it's for a different reason. You don't know. But um, his short shuttle and three cone were pretty terrible, so, you know, it's it's not looking great. I mean, it's... just make the guy a linebacker, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's probably going to have to be in that role because he's. it seems like there's going to be some speed issues and some agility issues, and he's just kind of a big, thumping kind of a, a safety. And I don't know that you're getting a whole lot else outside of that. Again, I'm just, I'm just kind of guessing. I don't know. But, I mean, he's solid against the run. He's about as sure of a tackler as you're going to find. 
but his coverage grades haven't been great. His pass rush grades, although he has had several attempts, 86 attempts to get to the quarterback in his career, um, his grades there have not been very good. And and a lot of that is speed. You know, if you're coming from deep, even from from the linebacker range, you got to be able to get there, man. You, you don't have a lot of time. You got to cover a lot of ground, and he probably is not the greatest at that. But Again, for for a role filler, I mean, even if you think about the Packers, if you're looking for if uh, like a later round guy, let's say we're on the fourth or fifth round, and you're looking for basically that third linebacker to just kind of just smash people, you know, I mean, he, he, as far as as far as linebackers go, he might be able to be at a, in an adequate linebacker speed. I don't know. I'm I'm just I'm saying some somebody will find a use for him, but I don't think he's going to be a very good um, safety just in a true safety role especially in today's NFL, where you're kind of expected to be everything. There's not like a true delineation between free and strong safety. We've got that delineation, but you got to be able to do both because it's there's so much versatility. And if you're just a hammer, it's it's just, it's not going to go great for you. Wide receiver Tamori and Terry, I think one of the biggest red flags that I see for him, I was kind of excited because he's a big dude, six foot four, two ten. 210. Um, he measured in at six two and a half, two oh seven. So he lost an inch and a half and uh, came in a little bit light, probably because he, you know, his legs got shortened or something. When you lose an inch and a half of thigh, you're going to lose a little bit of weight. But uh, actually ran a 4-4-4-40, which is super fun to say, which is pretty solid. I mean, even even though he's only 6'2 and a half, 207, that's a decent build, and 4-4 is quick. Unfortunately, he's kind of just a straight line guy. The the agility drills were kind of not great. And so I think, you know, when you're looking at a Tamori and Terry, you're kind of looking at, you know, Kind of what everybody thought DK Metcalf was going to be. Like, he's a big, tall, fast guy that runs in a straight line and can't do anything else. Obviously, everybody was wrong about that. But that's kind of what you're looking at with Tamori and Terry. Probably not the smoothest route runner, but uh, he caught 62.5% of his contested catches, which is pretty solid in 2020. His career average is 47, but still. You got that going for you. He also had nine touchdowns in 2019, which is a decent number. So again, he's, he's a late-round role player. You know, it's just a thing that he can do. Um, my, as we move on now to Iowa, as we move away from, there's a couple other players, but I'm not going to mention them because I don't even know who they are. Uh, we get to Davion Nixon and every year there's like one guy that I just, I just can't get into it, which means we're probably going to draft him, but I just, I don't know what it is. I I haven't watched him. And usually that's the one thing that I, I feel not great about because it's always based on me watching somebody. And this is not based on that, but this is the guy where it's just like, I just don't get it with him. But six, three, three, 13. Uh, he ran a, ran a fast 40. His vert was above average. Um, agility, not great. Again, I don't know how much that really matters, but the explosion, he did fine. Speed was fine. So again, the Packers probably really like the guy, and I, that makes me sad. Here is my thing with Davion Nixon, and, and it's just maybe it's just my assumption, and I'm just assuming things that I shouldn't, but um, he graded up fine. Two years he played, 71 and 73 overall grades. That's fine. A um, couple things. Number one, if we look into his 73 overall grade, he's the guy that I'm talking about where I say he had a couple good games and he was mostly trash for everything else. 70, 80, 60, 40, 90, 60, 50, 50. So if we look at games 70 and above, we're looking at three games. There was a 70.6, so barely 70 in week eight against Purdue, an 80.6 against Northwestern, and a 90.3 against Penn State. That's it. Those are the only games in which he had a 70, which is good overall grade or better. One, two, three, four, five games in which he didn't meet that mark. Two average games, one game in the 50s, which is below average, or excuse me, two games in the 50s, and then one in the 40s, which is just bad. But he averaged out at 70. I just, I don't like that. Number two, I think he kind of excels at getting the flashy stats. He had five sacks and a pick. Now, again, that seems kind of silly, but 
He's got five sacks. He had two batted passes. He had one interception, one forced fumble. So, I mean, he's got all these these big plays, right? His highlight reel probably looks great. But he had 21 pressures out of 256 attempts, so he's not even at 10%. And by the way, seven of those, one-third came in one game against Purdue. If you take away that game, which is not entirely fair, but if you take away that game, he's at 6.7%. So he's not a very good pass rusher. His, his run defense grade is a 63, so he's not very good at that. But he's got a coverage grade of 71 because he got a pick. I just, I just, I don't know. It just, eh. I'm sure he's great. And maybe if I watched him, I'd love him, but I just, I can't get into it. Um, there's a couple guys I could talk about, but let's move on to Missouri because some of those guys are kind of deeper dives. Uh, linebacker Nick Bolton, somebody that was actually extremely popular for a while that Packer fans kind of forgot about. He kind of snuck into that first round. People were super excited about him, and then it kind of became these other guys. You know, Zaven Collins came into the mix and some other guys that that became that guy. And Nick Bolton kind of has been hovering in the second round, so nobody really remembers him anymore. But uh, 5'11", 237 pounds. He's had a good couple of years. I mean, 2019, he actually graded out as elite. 2020, he had a 75 overall grade, so decent and relatively consistent. He had one terrible game against Arkansas. Otherwise, it's all 60s and 70s. It was 60, 70, 70, 70, 60, 60, 70, 60, 70. I'm doing a lot of rounding, but that's basically it. And then you have a 29, which obviously is terrible. But, you know, one bad game, you can get over it. He's only 21 years old. Always like really young players because you got a lot of, I mean, you get them for a long time, you know. Coverage grade was not very good in 2020. It was in 2019, but I tend to think 2019 was the outlier. His three-year grades was 55, 90, and 60. So that's kind of iffy. But when you're talking about a guy that is six foot 232, I think the question is for a lot of coaches, you know, we can coach certain things. Do you have the abilities and the attributes to do what I need a guy to do? Kind of like when we talked about center, we need a certain level of athleticism to be able to reach linebackers. And if you don't have it, you don't have it. If you do have it, you know, kind of like what, well, I guess I'll finish this analogy before I move on to the next one. But, you know, if you can do those things, we can coach you. Possibly, you know, it could be a scheme thing. You know, we're going to protect you with this, that, or the other thing. But it's just a matter of can you do it, and then we can coach you how to do it. You know, Justin Jefferson, like I've said a thousand times, the biggest red flag for me is he never went down the field. Every single thing was a quick little in, out, dig, this, that, the other. It's just these short, quick little passes. And he was great. I loved watching him. He he reminded me of Devontae off the line. He was so smooth and so awesome but it's like if that's all you can do it's going to drop your value but what the coaches there did is they said i know based on his attributes if we sent him on this route he can handle it and sure enough he can and that's i think what you got to look at at nick bolton he didn't do great here and there but you watch him on a game-to-game basis and say he can do x y and z which is what we need him to do in coverage or he can't and so it's he's not a good cover guy but um in 2019 17 receptions on 29 targets, two touchdowns allowed, two interceptions, and eight pass breakups. So he was he was an absolute stud. Um, again, you can pretty much pick any game in uh, 2020 with the exception of Arkansas and get a pretty good feel for what he does on a game-to-game basis. If you really want to see him do well, uh, you kind of got to go back to 2019, sort of a Jordan Love thing, go back and see him at his absolute best. Um, he had some unbelievable games. I mean, his very, very, very best would be his game against West Virginia, if you can find that in 2019. I wonder if I have that game. I don't have it, and I can't find it on YouTube. If you Google Nick Bolton versus West Virginia, there's like a highlight video made, because that's obviously how good he was. Um, there's just a video that's called Missouri Defensive Back Nick Bolton, seven tackles, three tackles for a loss, and two interceptions. It's a minute and 54 seconds, just a highlight reel of everything he did. So if you just want to get excited about a guy, go check out that video. I really want to just sit here and do it, but I've been doing this podcast for like 
a year now and I need to get moving. Um, but anyways, as far as his, uh, you know, pro day went, he did measure in a little shorter. He was like six foot 240 or something. He came in 5'11", 237. Uh, he did run a 4.59, which is relatively quick. I mean, you know, in, in modern day NFL, you got some of these guys that are basically like wide receivers playing linebacker. But 4.59 is is pretty pretty decent speed for a guy that you you know at 235 he's going to be flying around and whatnot. Um, Vert and Broad were a little below average, but not you know super red flaggy. Uh, his short shuttle and his three cone were not super great. So again, you know, whatever matters to you, there you go. But uh, anyways, there's a bunch of other guys that uh, you can Google what they did on their pro days if you're curious about. Those are kind of the bigger named uh, guys. Nothing super great. I mean, you know, nobody really blew away, at least as far as Monday goes. There's been some great combines and whatnot, but everybody was about average or below average, which nothing is going to, I don't think, massive red flags, but there there could be some things here. You know, Marvin Wilson and, you know, Asante Samuel, you want him to be able to do certain things, and it doesn't seem to be able to do it. Marvin, you know, not spending a lot of time in the gym kind of thing. Not the greatest thing ever. Um, today, March 23rd, we have Alabama, Central Michigan, Iowa State, Nebraska, and Purdue. So uh, Purdue obviously is going to be fun for our guy Rondale Moore. Alabama's always got a bunch of guys. So, uh, you know, he's always good for an Iowa State wide receiver or something. But anyways, I really got to get going. So you folks have yourselves a fantastic Tuesday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.